I know I've mentioned before that basketball was the main sport in our town, in my high school when I was growing up. Basketball was a, a winter sport, so it did not interfere with the, the planting in the spring or the harvesting in the fall in the farming community. The, the winter season when basketball was played also meant that more of the local people could attend all the games. In fact, in a farming community, life gets really slow in the winter time, and, and basketball games at the local high school became the community event to go to. It, it was the thing. Basketball was the thing that everybody went to, it was where everybody gathered. It was the exciting thing of life. The, the problem that I found, the challenge... That, that having basketball being so significant in our community posed for me was, I'm no good at it. My height wasn't helpful, nor was my lack of sports abilities overall. So it created a challenge for me. I wanted to be engaged in the thing that was the exciting thing, the, 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 the core of excitement in our school, in our community, and yet I was no good at the game. The, the solution that, that worked for me in the end, I, I ended up serving as a student manager for several years to the basketball team. As a student manager, I did things that, that helped the basketball team. For example, before the game, I would make sure all the balls were inflated. I would ensure that they were ready for the game. I and some of the other managers would make sure that plenty of, of charts that we used to keep stats on the games were photocopied and that the scorebook was ready. I would get the game basketball out of the vault and bring it to the refs before the game. All those kinds of things in the background before the game. During the game, I, I usually ran a very old-style video camera. We're going back several years now, so it was very old-style video camera so that the coach and the players could, could review the game during the week and, and analyze how it went. Um, if I wasn't doing that, then I would help keep stats or the scorebook, something of that nature during the game. But, but I didn't play in the game. Still, I participated in the games. I, I, I fulfilled these off-court, behind-the-scenes kinds of activities in support of the game. So, so even when the team made it to the state basketball tournament my junior year of high school, I was able to be part of it. I was there. I was helping on the sidelines, doing my jobs, so that the team could play effectively. Now, I'll admit that a lot of what I and the others did as student managers was not glamorous. After the games, our jobs involved things like grabbing the sweaty towels that the, the team had used to wipe themselves off and then thrown behind the bench as they were playing the game. Some of those kinds of things were part of of our jobs. The duties were not glamorous, but they were necessary. They, they all helped the game go forth. Well, this morning we're going to look at a duty that we as Christians have at times that, that is somewhat akin to serving as a student manager for a basketball team. We're going to consider a duty that is important, even though it's largely behind the scenes. Now, after an unplanned week of COVID quarantine, it is good to be back with you. I, I missed being here last week. It's good to be back in our series on developing genuine love. We began this series several months ago, right after Easter, this series on developing genuine love. And, and by now, those of you that have been with us, you know that, that love for one another is the distinguishing mark that, that our Savior gave us. As Christians, we are to be distinguished by our love for one another. It's to set us apart from the unsaved world around us. Our love 
for each other is to be markedly different from what is generally found in the world at large. Now, because our Savior is the one that told us we are to be distinguished by our love, he is the one that, that instructed us that this should be the sign of our faith in him. Because of that significance placed upon love, I hope we recognize that getting love right and developing it more fully, it, it needs to be a vital concern for all of us. Getting love right is necessary if we're truly desirous of joyfully magnifying our Savior. Now, our study on love has been built around the list of characteristics that, that Paul provides in Romans chapter 12. These are things that God considers genuine love. With this list, Paul identifies the characteristics of love, but he also encourages us to get involved with developing it. We are to develop this genuine thing that he's defining. Now we've taken this list item by item and, and we're using it to examine our lives, to evaluate the love that we have. Is it the real thing? And to verify that what we are producing is what Christ desires. If you're not there already, I encourage you to turn with me to Paul's list in Romans chapter 12. Paul begins this list in, in verse 9, and so far we've looked at the following items in this series. Paul begins his list with his header, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, genuine love. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. After that heading there of genuine love, Paul in verse 9 begins this list of characteristics of genuine love that, that really continues through verses 10 and 11. Verse 12 sort of describes the environment that produces genuine love, the things that need to be present for genuine love to flourish. And then verse 13 shifts the focus again as Paul starts to consider what are the practical effects of genuine love in our lives, our relationships, how does it work itself out? That's where we're at as we come back to our series here this morning, examining the, these practical effects of genuine love. We, we need to remember, love is a relational thing. It, it happens between people. Plus, we need to re not forget that, that genuine love Biblical love, Christian love, is others-focused. In other words, that, that's the same thing as saying that genuine love is a spiritual thing. Because our natural focus is self. We are naturally, because of our sin nature, focused on ourselves. It takes the Spirit of God working within us to cause us to focus on others first. That's really why love is the distinguishing mark of a Christian is evidence that, that we are being transformed by the, the grace of God's Spirit at work in us through our faith in Jesus Christ. As I've said many times in this series, look at the people sitting around you this morning. These are the people who should be experiencing these effects of love. But what effects of love should they experience? Well, the first part of verse 13 said that they should experience contributing to the needs of the saints. We looked at that several weeks back now. This morning, we're going to add the next idea, the next effect, practicing hospitality. Practicing hospitality. 
That's how the, the New American Standard translates the, the second phrase of verse 13. The, that's the phrase that we want to consider here this morning. Practicing hospitality. When you think of hospitality, what things come first to your mind? Most likely, our home is one of the things that pops into our mind first when, when we think about hospitality. We think about having people in our homes. This morning, as, as we explore the idea of hospitality, I want us to think primarily in that context. Think of, of our homes that God has given us. The, the overall idea that I want us to understand this morning is that practicing hospitality, this phrase that we're going to examine, it means that we are to use our homes to further the gospel. We're to use our homes for that purpose, furthering the gospel. All of us have homes. We are blessed in that regard. All of us have homes. That simple fact that every one of us sitting here this morning has a home makes us significantly richer than a very large portion of the world's population. None of us are homeless. For, for many of us, our homes are houses. For others, our homes might be apartments. There, there might be other people living in our homes, or we might be living by ourselves. The, the details of our homes vary, but all of us have a place that we call home. And this is not by accident. We need to realize this morning that we have these places because God has providentially provided them to us as good gifts. These are God's gifts in our lives. They are blessings from his hand. Yet, what we also need to see, like all the gifts that God has given us, our homes then carry a stewardship responsibility. Every gift we receive from God, we are to be good stewards of. Our homes are no different. We are to use our homes, the, these gifts from God, in, in a manner that, that reflects our unique status in this world as believers. The, the fact that, that we find this topic, this, this instruction here, this command even, to, to practice hospitality in this list of love, it indicates there, there's a connection here between our lives as Christians in this activity with our homes. There is a connection here. We need to understand this connection if we're going to fulfill our Christian duty. The connection comes because of our lives. The reason we are on this earth is to further the gospel work of Christ. As I've said numerous times, God could, at the moment of our salvation, whisk us away. And he could have used some other method to communicate the gospel than, than Christians proclaiming it to others who need to hear it. God could have, but he didn't. In his all-wise plan, in his good plan, in his best plan to bring glory to his name, he chose to leave us here after we accept the gospel message of Jesus Christ, leave us here for the purpose of telling others. Somehow our homes fit into that process. Our homes are a key part of our lives. We are to use our homes to further the gospel. So let's see if we can understand how using our homes more effectively fits in by, by understanding more fully what is Paul implying in these simple words that, that we have listed here, practicing hospitality. This morning, 
I want to give us three considerations regarding hospitality. Three things that, that come out of these two simple words. The, the first consideration is that hospitality requires intentional effort. There needs to be an intentionality in our hospitality. It requires intentional effort. In, in Paul's list here, practicing hospitality is, is what we find, and, and it's been several weeks, but I hope that you remember that all of these ING words in, in this list carry the force of commands. Paul is carrying through this idea really implicit commands. Part of displaying genuine love is practicing hospitality. So that means that we must practice hospitality because we must display genuine love. It's not an optional thing for us. It's a necessary thing. It's part of our duty as believers. We are Christians, assuming we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are Christians, and that means we must include hospitality in our lives. We must do. In fact, the word that Paul uses, the, the, the word that we have translated as practiced, it, it brings out this idea very well. The, the word literally means to pursue something, to pursue it. We could translate our phrase, as the New English translation does, as pursue hospitality. That translation brings out both the command idea and the intentional aspect. Pursue hospitality. It brings out the intentional aspect because we don't pursue things by accident. Paul actually repeats the verb that we have translated as practice in the very next verse. In verse 14, we have a word translated as, as persecute. But it's the same word. It's the same word, pursue. We are to pursue hospitality, and we are, as we will see, Lord willing, next week, bless those who pursue us. Clearly, Paul's not talking about accidental pursuit in verse 14. Persecute is a good word. I'm not going to steal next week's sermons this week and bring it in yet, but, but it's a good word of translating persecute. Those who intentionally pursue for the sake of making life difficult because of our faith. Well, in a similar vein, we're to purposely pursue this thing called hospitality. Now, I'll discuss in a moment a bit more about what hospitality is, but, but before I do, I want to make sure that we get this intentional idea. There needs to be an intentional effort. Practicing hospitality requires intentional, even vigorous effort. It's not something that we just happen into. Now, tomorrow, I have my annual physical. I'm not looking forward to seeing the doctor tomorrow because last week I had my pre-physical blood work done. I've already seen the report. I know my cholesterol is high. I anticipate there's going to be a discussion between myself and the doctor about my cholesterol. I also am not surprised by that result. I know that over the last couple of years... I have not exercised the way that I ought, and I have not been careful about why I've been eating the way that I ought. There's no real surprise in the report. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was very intentional about my efforts, and, and I had this app on my phone where I would daily track my food and my exercise. With that intentionality, I accomplished my goals, and my cholesterol went down. It went down into the nice, safe zone, so I got lazy. 
Friends, this thing called hospitality is very similar. Unless we put intentionality into it, we will not accomplish it. We will slip into what's easy. We may want it. We may agree that we should do it. We may even from time to time fall into practicing hospitality. But we will fail to practice hospitality in a way that matches what Paul is referring to. We will not pursue it in a way that will further the gospel without intentionality. We are to use our homes to further the gospel. The first consideration is that hospitality requires intentional effort. Intentional effort. Second, hospitality requires personal sacrifice. Personal sacrifice. Here's where we get into what hospitality means. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word hospitality, but I know the kind of things that come into my mind. When I think about hospitality, one of the first things that pops in my mind is having some people over to our house and Grace putting out a big spread. Having some friends or family over and she sets a nice table, she prepares a great meal, I get excited, we'll have leftovers usually. All those things come into what I first think of of hospitality. I think of time of fun and fellowship. With, with people that I enjoy spending time with. Now, because I've been working on this sermon this week, I've thought a little bit further, and when I think a little bit further about hospitality, behind that kind of image in my mind, I may also think of this thing called a hospitality room that I've encountered from time to time. Hotels, a lot of times, will have a hospitality room. And I enjoy those places because I can go there and get coffee at will. They, they always have coffee or tea available. Some of the really great places even have cookies. I mean, that is very hospitable. Now, you might think of a couple more nuances to the word of hospitality, but, but I would suspect in general your thoughts probably run along the same lines. Those are the kinds of things we think about. And if that's the case, that means that we all fall short of the idea that Paul is expressing when he writes practicing hospitality. The, the word that Paul uses as, that we have translated hospitality, it literally means love of strangers. Love of strangers. The only other use of this word as a noun is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, where the author of Hebrew writes, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Don't neglect to show love to strangers to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. The idea that this word carried in Paul's day meant giving shelter or food to visitors, whether they were people you knew or not. We're, we're at a time frame where there was a real need for people who traveled to find a place to stay. There was need because there were very few hotels or motels that, that people could stay in. It was an even greater need when you consider that, that most of the ones that did exist also served as brothels. Not a place where most people wanted to stay. People traveling had to depend upon strangers to put them up for the night and to provide a meal for them for the next day. Probably a closer example to the hospitality idea that Paul is describing than what we initially think of would be in 
uh, having the attendees that came for the School of Church planting here two months ago now. We're already in August. It was back in June. When we had those attendees came and we, we asked some people to host them, you had no idea who would be showing up to your house by and large. A few of you may have known the people that were assigned, but in general, all you knew was they were either church planters or presenters at this conference. You did not know them. For the most part, you were looking to host strangers. Of course, only a few families opened their homes that week for attendees, so m- many of you did not experience this level of lodging of strangers, but that's closer to the idea of what Paul is referring to. Yet we need to go further than that. We need to go further than the idea of just opening our house to someone we don't know. We need to push Paul's idea further. Understanding the stranger aspect of the context of Paul's day still does not go far enough. We need to put ourselves in the sandals of a person in Rome receiving this letter and hearing these words in Paul's day. Most likely, we are slaves who have been given a place for our family to sleep and food to eat, or we are day laborers who spend each day looking for work so that we can work all day to buy food that night for our families. Most likely, that's who we are. Either slaves or day laborers who have very, very limited food. We have, on a good day, enough for our family. For us to show hospitality to a stranger for the night will most likely mean that all of us, including our children, will go to bed hungry because we want to make sure our guest has enough food. We can also anticipate spending a very uncomfortable night of sleep because our entire family will be even more crowded than normal. It's not like we have a lot of space to begin with as that level in society. But we need to have enough room for our guests to have a place to sleep so we'll all be crowded in tighter than normal. Sure, we, we can endure this for one night, but, but what if our guest stays for a second night or for several nights? Once he's in our home, the cultural norms of our day, the social custom, does not allow us to ask him to leave. He is our guest until he moves on. And we are obliged to provide for his needs. That's practicing hospitality. Now, of course, I I did mention that compared to the rest of the world, all of us are wealthy people. Compared to, we're we're in the upper 10% of of the population of our planet simply because we have roof over our heads and we do have food on our tables every day. So maybe we would have been the wealthy ones in Paul's day as well when we received this letter. In, In that case, of course, providing a place to sleep and food for the night to a stranger would not pose that great of a burden on us. We're wealthy. Still, even as wealthy people, we'd have to consider the risk that comes with doing that. While while we have resources, they're not endless resources. What if word gets out? Any Thomas or Decatus or Hereticus, you know, those those Roman names. What if all those people show up in our, our doorstep and want to stay for an indefinite amount of time? We might soon be overrun with beggars posing as strangers. After all, Rome in this day has countless, countless beggars. So even for us wealthy people, practicing hospitality poses a risk. There is real 
personal sacrifice involved with what Paul is calling us to. Friends, we are generally not inclined to make personal sacrifices. We're taught by both our inherent sinful nature as well as the self-centered culture all around us. We're taught by both things, our inner nature and the world around us, to hoard our resources, to protect what is ours. And most of us, frankly, have had years of honing that skill. We're very good at protecting our resources. Yes, we, we sacrifice for our family and our close friends at times. And while we may not think about it, if we're honest, sacrificing for our friends and family, though, or close friends, it's not entirely selfless. Because we expect, should we need something, these are the same people that will sacrifice for us. We also usually feel a, a little sense of pride that we're helping someone who will appreciate us more because we help them. Paul is calling us to something that goes far beyond that type of sacrifice. He's calling us to sacrifice for complete strangers who we may never see again. He is calling for us to do this even when it hurts. And Paul is not alone in issuing this kind of call. Peter also says in 1 Peter 4, verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Ouch. Without complaint. Sometimes I joke, I can do anything as long as I can complain about it while I'm doing it. Without complaint. That, that makes it clear that hospitality may hurt at times. I already mentioned Hebrews 13, 2, where the author there with his referenced angels makes it clear that we are to do this kind of thing for those who are not part of our church family. They're, they're strangers, complete strangers. Sacrifice for complete strangers. That's what hospitality requires. We're to use our home to further the gospel. Hospitality requires personal sacrifice. That's consideration number two. Thirdly, hospitality demonstrates spirit-filled love. Spirit-filled love. Our first consideration dealt with the how. Hospitality requires us to pursue it. That's the how. Our second consideration dealt with the what. Practice hospitality through personal sacrifice. That's the what, personal sacrifice. Now, thirdly, we need to think about the the why. Why do we do this? Why? Hospitality demonstrates spirit-filled love. Let's come back to our list. We've zoomed in on these two words, but, but let's not forget the idea that this is one of the ways that we are to express genuine love. It's in the context of what genuine love is. This is, is not a random idea. It's intimately connected to what distinguishes our lives as Christians. Love. This connection carries a, a couple of implications, really. One implication is, is that we cannot expect hospitality to feel natural. Nothing in this list of genuine Christian love is natural. It is all supernatural. It all comes because the Spirit is producing this thing by transforming us to be like our Savior. There's nothing about hospitality that we should expect to feel natural. 
We cannot look at the world around us and expect to see examples of this in the broad culture that, that we live in. We are talking about something that is foreign to the world. Using the homes that, that God has given us to serve others rather than ourselves. That's foreign to the world. And yet when the world sees such things, it will take notice because hospitality is one of the spirit-filled demonstrations of love. And we are known to the world by our love. The, the second implication is that we must work at letting, hospital, or letting the Spirit create this outward display in our lives. We must work at letting the Spirit do this. Both times that, that Paul gives qualifications for a pastor, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, both times when Paul lists, these are the things that you should look at in a man that's a pastor, one of the traits is hospitable. Now, several years ago when we went through these letters, we went through Titus on Sunday mornings in 2018 and we went through 1 Timothy on Sunday evenings in 2020. Both times as we went through this list of characteristics for a pastor, I, I told you these are simply characteristics of spiritual maturity. When you look for a pastor, you're supposed to look for someone who displays uh, evidence of spiritual maturity. But we're all to strive for spiritual maturity. All of us. These are traits that, that we all should strive toward, and hospitable is one of them. There, there's no escaping the idea that hospitality is something that you and I should strive to display in our lives. God means for us to use our homes to show the world around us what spirit-filled love looks like. That means this is a sermon as much to myself as it is to you. This idea comes from thinking through this simple statement here in, in Romans twelve thirteen, and, and realizing that this simple statement, practicing hospitality, is, is really as countercultural as anything we could come up with. Think about the way the world tells us to look at our homes. My home is my castle. My home is my safe haven. My place of private refuge. My retreat from the world. A lot of times in our house, Grace will have one of the, the TV remodeling shows on. She, she likes to have that in the background as she works around the house. Well, when I think about these remodeling shows that are so popular on, on television, I realize that a lot of the effort that is spent on remodeling the home center on the idea of turning the home, the house, if you will, turning the house into an oasis. A place to escape from the pressures of the world. Making this place so beautiful that when I come into this place, all the cares of life disappear. The goal is to make the houses nicer and nicer for the owner's enjoyment. Now, there is nothing wrong with making our houses nice. There is something wrong, though, when we see our houses as where we escape from the world. I said at the outset, our homes, these houses that God has provided that we've built into homes, these are resources that God has given us for his glory. We need to use our homes to, to demonstrate the spirit-filled love that, that is at work transforming our lives. Hospitality puts the arms and legs into that display. 
enables us to show what the Spirit is doing in our lives. So let's ask the hard questions. How are you doing when it comes to hospitality? In general, I think for most of us, the answer is we're not doing very well. How many people are we inviting into our homes? Remember, I'm not talking about family members or our closest friends that we really enjoy being time with, spending time with. Are we inviting strangers into our homes because they need our hospitality? They need a place to stay? Or even more importantly, they need to hear about our Savior. It, it saddens me when I think back to the fact that a Muslim friend invited me into his home for a meal with his family in, in an attempt to demonstrate to, to me that his religion was non-threatening. He did this before I ever considered inviting him into my home. Yet, I'm the one who has a real savor to offer. I am the one who has a spirit transforming my life. But I did not see my home as a tool to share Christ with him. I thought I was doing pretty good that I would meet him at a coffee shop to tell him about Christ. I missed the opportunity to use what God had given me to demonstrate spirit-filled love. I failed to recognize that all of my life, all of my life, including my home, is about the gospel work that Christ has called me to. Now, now there's nothing glamorous with opening up our homes. There's nothing glamorous about hospitality. It, it means cleaning the floors, cleaning the toilets, changing bed linens, washing extra dishes, spending money on groceries, and so forth. It's not glamorous. But we're not called to, to shine a spotlight on ourselves so that we receive glamorous recognition. What we're called to do is use our lives as a spotlight through which Christ is magnified. Our lives are to shine on Him and our Savior through His Apostle has told us that hospitality is one of the ways that demonstrates spirit-filled love. And spirit-filled love displays the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It furthers the work of the gospel. We're to use our homes to further the work of the gospel. Hospitality demonstrates spirit-filled love. We are to use our homes to further the gospel. Remember my experience as, as a student manager for the basketball team? Much of what I did went unnoticed by the people who attended the games. They didn't know what was being done behind the scenes. Sometimes not even the, the basketball players themselves noticed what was being done in support of them. Yet everything I did was in support of the team and the game. In similar fashion, hospitality is one of those background activities. It may be largely unnoticed by the church overall. We may provide food and lodging for people we, we never see again. We may invite people and prepare meals and discover that they don't even show up. 
it may seem as if what we're doing does not matter. But nothing is further from the truth. Hospitality supports the gospel ministry when it is biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality means, number one, it requires intentional effort. Number two, it requires personal sacrifice. And number three, it demonstrates spirit-filled love. God is calling us to, to change the way we view our homes today. We are to use our homes to further the gospel. The question is, will you respond to the challenge he's giving you this morning? Will you use your home to further his gospel? Will you use your home to show forth Christ by joyfully magnifying him to others that you invite into that inner sanctum that our culture said we're to build? We are to use our homes to further the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning you would do a work within our hearts so that you may do a work through us by using the homes you've given us. Father, this is an area that, especially as Americans, we fail miserably at overall. Father, I pray that as members of First Baptist Church of Jesus uh, of Sterling Heights, we would become men and women that are different from the average American. That we would be men and women that are joyfully magnifying Christ to the world around us, using everything that you've given us. Not only our life, our breath, our, our finances, but our homes as well. So that the gospel message of Christ would go forth. It's in his name we pray. Amen.